And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Friday, April 3rd, 2020, and I have today's guest on the line. He's Dave Olberg. He's the executive director of the Elmhurst History Museum. Welcome, Dave. Hey, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Uh, I want to thank you for helping the lowdown, and PK in particular, with his One Ponce of Time series because you've brought a lot of much-needed energy and, more importantly, accurate information to his bit. So thank you. Oh, you bet. My pleasure. You know, it's fun. We, you know, we've had some really interesting stories. We, we've been able to, to get out there, and I'm kind of looking forward to the, uh, you know, the next ones we're going to work on, too. Good. Well, before we get into how you're operating now um, with this pandemic, can you kind of give our listeners an idea of the relationship between the museum and the city, and then the relationship between the museum, uh, which is the Elmhurst History Museum, and the Elmhurst Heritage Foundation? Yeah, sure. Uh, for those uh, who are not familiar, uh, the Elmhurst History Museum is a department of the city of Elmhurst. Uh, we were actually uh, created uh, by the city uh, back in the 1950s, um, which is very different from a lot of other museums you find out there. I mean, it was a deliberate intention of our city going back to the 50s to have a history museum in town. Um, and we've grown over the years and taken over the Gloss Mansion, uh, which is a, a three-story Romanesque uh, um, uh, revival uh, a building that belonged to Henry and Lucy Gloss. Henry Gloss, of course, being the first uh, president of the then village of Elmhurst. Uh, we've got two floors of galleries there. We operate an education center next door where we do a lot of programs for all ages. And then we also operate the Churchville one-room schoolhouse uh, nearby Bensonville, which dates back to 1850 and is just an absolute jewel. Um, and then we also work in partnership with the Elmer's Heritage Foundation. Uh, they are a wonderful 501c3 organization, wonderful group of dedicated people um, who help to raise funds to underwrite museum programs, uh, underwrite uh, a lot of our exhibits, uh, underwrite uh, field trips to the Churchville One Room Schoolhouse and to the uh, uh, History Museum as well. I uh, can't say enough about all the hard work they do on our behalf. Nice. Well, I know that you mentioned the three buildings that that the museum occupies, and I know that those are all currently closed to the public, but the museum isn't just buildings. You're still able to, to provide service and content to the community. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing during this uh, time of crisis. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Rich. It's you know it's interesting. I you know I hearken back to something you know as a kid going to church with my parents that I used to hear all the time, which is that the the church is not a building. The church is the people. And I would say the same thing applies to the museum. It isn't you know merely the buildings that's here. It's it's the people, the volunteers, the staff, um, and and all of the people that we can connect with in the community. And so um, we're kind of adopting the idea of a museum without walls uh, during the period uh, which were closed. Uh, so our staff is working very hard from home right now in building a great deal of online content that we can share with the public since most people are, are you know, currently at home, children and adults both, under the shelter-in-place mandate. Um, so uh, we have been digitizing a lot of our collection, uh, and that has allowed us to uh, you know, put out not just simply you know, images of, of past Elmhurst, but uh, our curator of collections, Dan Lund, 
has been working very hard to develop uh, some short-form um, documentaries on different special subjects. Uh, he has one he just did on the Gloss Mansion. He's got a second one he's put together on the Churchville One-Room Schoolhouse, a third one on the Elmhurst Airport. Uh, we're working now on the Lindlar Sanitarium and the Elm Skating Rink, or a couple more that he's doing. And a couple of those have already been added to our website. Uh, we're going to push them out on Facebook next week uh, for additional content out there. Um, and then he's still continuing with Throwback Thursday series and uh, posting some additional historic pictures on Mondays. Um, our supervisor of education services, Jess Wandersey, um, has been putting out every Tuesday and Friday a different lesson plan for uh, children and families to do together uh, who are sheltering in place at home. Uh, and uh, we're getting you know, quite a few views on those. Um, uh, pretty neat subjects. Everything, you know, one of them is, is, ha is asking a child to uh, write a letter about what they're experiencing now to a child in the future, um, and then encouraging the parents to journal along with them and compare notes. Um, and this is meaningful stuff we're collecting, by the way, because we are creating an archive on uh, Elmhurst's response to COVID-19, and so we're collecting in real time a lot of that through some of these initiatives. Um, we've got our curator of exhibits, uh, Dan Bartlett, working uh, from home right now, um, basically uh, finishing the research, uh, doing all of the um, graphic design and writing the label copy for our big summer show, which opens in June, uh, the Great Midwestern Road Trip. Um, so we've got that going as well. And we tried our first Facebook Live post as well um, on March 20th. And so we actually, this is right before the shelter-in-place mandate came down, we were able to give a tour of the exhibit uh, on the right track, which is our railroad exhibit uh, that uh, Community Bank uh, has sponsored. Um, and he was able to give about a 45-minute tour and answer in real time questions that people sent into us as well. And that tour can still be, you, you can watch it still on our Facebook page. You can go back and see it, actually, if you like us on Facebook. Um, I clicked past 2,900 unique views just on his one tour alone. And i got to tell you, between the lesson plans, between the Throwback Thursday photos, um, and uh, some of the other stuff we're featuring online now, uh, we're getting more than 7,000 unique views a week now uh, with all the content we're putting online. And I think that's going to go up because we're introducing a couple new things in the coming week. Uh, we're going to start rolling those documentaries out there on Facebook in addition to our website. And then we also are doing now a story time with the school marm. And so Jess Wandersay is actually dressed up as a 1910 school marm, and we shot some uh, um, a video of her reading a variety of timeless uh, children's stories. And so for parents with young kids or caregivers with young kids, this will be one more thing to tune into every Friday at 10 o'clock from now on. Wow. So... Are, do you actually have reference services still available? We do. So while you cannot physically come to the museum and do research in the archives, uh, you can uh, just visit our, um, uh, our website and submit any questions that you have, or you can call uh, the museum's main line as well. And, uh, again, uh, Dan has uh, uh, the archives basically um, uh, on an external hard drive, uh, so we are able to um, actually respond to your requests and do research and answer questions. And now in terms of your traveling exhibits, um, what what traveling exhibit, what, the, the On the Right Track was still going uh, when you uh, closed the museum, correct? That is correct, yeah. Um, we That came to kind of an abrupt end, uh, at least physically, on the 13th of uh, March when we had to close. Um, we did elect to leave that particular exhibit in place 
Um, and as the, the shelter-in-place uh, mandate came down, and especially once, uh, the shel- once the recommendations from the CDC came down that uh, everybody would, should maintain uh, you know, the social distancing all the way until at least the end of April, we recognized that the next traveling exhibit coming in, uh, which is called Once Upon a Playground, was something that we could not physically accept shipment of. We could not physically take down the current exhibit, and we could not physically put up the new show. Um, so we did have to cancel um, that traveling exhibit, uh, which had a five-week run here at the museum. Um, certainly disappointing to us because we were holding that in commemoration of the Elmer's Park District's uh, big centennial. Um, but uh, I think the right thing to do, given the circumstances, and the good news is that once the museum is able to reopen, once the shelter-in-place mandate expires, um, and in keeping with all the CDC's recommendations on best practices, um, those who didn't get a chance to see On the Right Track um, should potentially still have the opportunity to see that. Um, that's, of course, provided that we're able to open in, in May. You know, this is a very fluid situation. You don't know sure. how things might change in the next few weeks. But it is in place for right now. Um, and I know that after we did the Facebook Live tour, I cannot tell you how many emails, how many telephone calls I've had asking, well, is there a chance to see it again? Because there's a whole new group that's excited about it all over again. So, um, so you know, finding a few silver linings there where we can. In terms of um, events you may have had scheduled, uh, I think Museum Day was one of them. What, what are you doing in terms of events that that would have uh, required folks to to attend? So you know, as far as any April events, obviously those need to be canceled because the shelter in place mandate right now uh, currently runs through April thirtieth. Um, we did, in consultation with our friends at the Elmer's Art Museum and our friends at the Elmer's Park District, uh, make the very difficult decision to. Uh, cancel Museum Day, which was scheduled for Sunday, May 17th. And that's, you know, out of a um, really just uh, uh, an excess of, of caution on everybody's behalf because um, even if the shelter in place mandate expires April 30th, you know, you still have the CDC's recommendations on social distancing, and I think that's probably going to extend uh, well into May. Uh, and, you know, we just couldn't really, uh, in good conscience, run an event that's going to attract, you know, typically we have six, 700 people uh, participating in that. So um, that one we did make the decision to cancel. Uh, I'm hoping we'll be able to reopen the museum by that point, and you'll at least get a chance to explore and enjoy the exhibits, um, you know, and we'll keep an eye on the situation and, you know, make any decisions on, on future events. But, uh, you know, hoping things are going to get back to normal here pretty soon. You mentioned uh, the museum, David. That involved, um, among other partners, the uh, Elmhurst Art Museum. So, are you working with other other typical or uh, other similar organizations to uh, figure out how you go forward from here? Uh, absolutely, we are. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm wearing one of my other hats here, uh, I'm a past president, and I'm currently um, a vice president with the Illinois Association of Museums. And so we have just initiated uh, a weekly um, uh, Zoom meeting, if you will, where people from the museum profession across the state uh, can participate in a video chat and, you know, raise concerns, ask questions, and, you know, and we can talk as a community a little more about how to deal with COVID-19 and begin to chart a little bit of a path forward. Um, and certainly on the national level, uh, you know, I'm, I'm regularly watching what's going on with the American Association for State and Local History and American Alliance of Museums uh, just to see how, how the field is changing and what's going on. 
Uh, certainly John McKinnon and I, um, John at the Art Museum and I, are, are very much in contact. I just talked to Jim Rogers again at the Park District on Monday as well. Uh, I'm talking to Mary Beth Harper at the, the library, too. I mean, we want to make sure, you know, we're touching base with each other. And, you know, we're, we're really planning and moving forward together. Dave, I know one of your flagship events is the uh, Elmer's Craft Beer Fest. Is, is that still on for now? Yeah, you know, so we've been talking, uh, you know, back and forth uh, with the with the foundation and the Craft Beer Fest Committee, and of course Kathy Jordan, our our chair. And one of the things that you know we think is is very important is 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 you know keeping that Craft Beer Fest alive. We did have a date already picked out of September nineteenth. Uh, for the craft beer fest, and you know, we recognize that you know, given the, our changing times and given the changing economy, the event might look different this year from past years. But we do think it's important to move ahead with that. Um, but one of the things, as as we are talking, you know, back and forth about this, you know, we recognize that uh, you know, times are pretty tough economically for people right now, and so we wanted to do something a little different. Uh, and we looked back at our past sponsors. And we just sent a message out to all of them, thanking them again for their past sponsorship, thanking them for helping to underwrite all of the great programs and exhibits um, that we do, you know, here at the museum and the Churchill One Room Schoolhouse. But we wanted to let them know that, you know, it really it takes a community working together, um, you know, all of our local business leaders working together with us, you know, to build that sense of community. And so we're recognizing our sponsors once again, and we're going to encourage people you know, to please shop local, you know, support these wonderful people who pulled together and helped us make the event uh, come together. Now it's our turn to thank them and to make sure people are helping to support them as uh, uh, things get back to normal here. So uh, I think that's an important message. We're all in this together, every one of us. I know that the uh, schools have a, a lot on their plate right now trying to deliver the, the whole e-learning concept and, uh, you know, my heart's with them because that's a really tough job. So my question is, is um, have they uh, gotten to the point where they've reached out to you for any content yet? Or is that do they kind of have to feel their way first? I think they've got to feel their way forward on this to some degree. But, you know, we're certainly recognizing the fact that there are a lot of parents and children at home that are looking for good, meaningful content whether it's related to the school curriculum or just something extra to do, evenings, weekends, what have you. So, you know, we, we didn't miss a beat. We started developing some of our own online content, knowing that, you know, there, people are really starved for good material out there right now. Um, I, I do want to uh, actually introduce one other subject. Uh, you know, every year we do, uh, one thing we do in, in cooperation with District uh, uh, 205 is um, the Ruth Strand Poster Contest. And typically this is a contest that involves second graders, we send out uh, uh, forms to all of the second-grade teachers in the district, uh, children, you know, research uh, a topic of interest in Elmer's history. They draw a picture and they give a narrative, and we have a big contest at the museum. That obvious, uh, this is something that typically we send the word out in April, and we host the contest and the entries at the end of April and early May. I think May 8th is typically the deadline. Uh, and uh, obviously we can't do that in the normal fashion this year. And so what we've decided to do uh, in working in, in cooperation with our foundation is we're moving it into an online contest, and we're opening it up to all ages. And you don't have to be from Elmhurst either this year to participate. And what we're asking uh, our children to do is to draw a picture um, of how they're dealing with the current events of 2020. 
um, and write a description as well. Um, and those can be submitted to us online. Uh, we will create a virtual gallery on the website showing off uh, this. And, and uh, you know, for any of our talented artists who are middle or high school students, I would encourage you to participate too. Because what you're helping us to actually do is document in real time uh, a huge uh, historic moment in our country's history. You know, something we haven't seen uh, anything similar uh, to since the pandemic of 1918, certainly. Um, and so, th and we're also working with the foundation. We're going to be buying um, some of the uh, uh, gift cards from uh, City Center. And so, the first hundred participants are going to get a five-dollar gift card when it's when they're able to come back here and pick those up. Um, and that way, we're promoting local businesses, getting people to shop a little bit more in downtown. And I think, you know, this is a kind of a positive way to deal with a very negative situation. I know what uh, you just mentioned, the pandemic of 1918, and I had reached out to you in advance asking if you had any information um, on previous pandemics and how they affected Elmhurst. And I think you had mentioned that, that some of those archives were destroyed a long time ago in a fire or something. Unfortunately, you know it's it's interesting. We've you know we've got a very very strong uh, uh, you know archives we've built up really since the 1950s here, and included in those archives are you know a number of the local and regional newspapers. Um, but there was a fire um, that uh, destroyed uh, almost a decade's worth of material. Uh, that would have come to us from the Elmhurst Press. And unfortunately, um, 1918 is one of the years that's affected by that. So I, I actually, it's one of the few areas that's not a strong point in our local collection. Well, it'd be interesting if uh, folks listen to this, and uh, maybe there's somebody out there that has some information that they could uh, bring forward and, uh, and clue you in on. So that, that would be neat. It would be a, a nice uh, sidebar of this uh, of this conversation. If you've got so, anything... Pardon? Reach out to me. If you've got anything, reach out to me. We'd love to be able to build up that section of our collection. Oh, that's great. So I'm guessing that um, by all accounts, which is your your history of our town that's housed on the second floor of the Gloss Mansion, might be updated at some point in the future to include something on the pandemic, right? Well, I think that's a, that's certainly uh, has a lot of potential. Yes, um, we uh, we work very hard to um, you know provide additional updates to that exhibit from time to time. So we do a quarterly you know uh, what we call a history spotlight, where we do a special focus on on some sort of element of local history. And I think that's certainly a a short term way of adding that. And and certainly I think it fits into the broader storyline of Elmhurst as well. Um, but I'll tell you another uh, thing we're, we're working on right now. We've actually made uh, a fairly dramatic change to our uh, roster of upcoming exhibits here. Uh, you know, we're currently involved in the research and development of the Great Midwestern Road Trip. We're very far along on that, and so we obviously want to put that in in June um, for our public. And we have a traveling exhibit on Frank Lloyd Wright that's going to follow that that we booked a long time ago um, that's going to come in the fall. But for our early 2021 uh, uh, exhibit calendar, what we're going to do instead is we're going to take a look at the Great Depression. Um, and I don't mean just, you know, a maudlin, gosh, times were sure tough back in the, you know, the, the 1929 and the 1930s. Um, but looking at the different ways that we tried to deal with it uh, on a local level, all of our banks survived here in Elmhurst, which is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, we had a WPA mural here. We had a Civilian Conservation Corps camp here in Elmhurst. Um, we have some great local stories of how people faced up to those challenges. And we're going to develop that exhibit, and we're going to use COVID-19 as a bookend on it. And so one of the things I'm trying to do right now is document in real time 
how our community is coping with, uh, you know, the current pandemic and, um, you know, the economic fallout of it as well. Um, trying to get some, some photographs as well of different proactive things people are doing to uplift their community. And we'd like to put that into that exhibit. So um, something that's going to certainly speak uh, not just to how we survived a great challenge in the past, but also um, something that speaks to our, our current lived reality. You mentioned the great Midwestern Road Trip upcoming exhibit, and I don't know if you're aware, but the Lowdown's own Scotty Malort did a tour of Route 66 uh, seven or eight years ago to raise money for Down syndrome. His daughter, Emma, has Down syndrome, and uh, that might make a, a great addition, his story, as it relates to his road trip down old Route 66 uh, in the museum's uh, exhibit. So just, just a little it, piece it, of information there. Yeah, you know, no, and I, I, I actually had lunch with him uh, back when we could go to restaurants. I'm and, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we we talked a little bit about his his experiences, and it's a pretty incredible story, I got to tell you. Um, and and I, I told him that's my bucket list item. You know, the day I retire at some point, I want to get on uh, Route 66 at the beginning and drive all the way out. I want to see every roadside attraction. I want to see every every last little bit there is of the old Route 66 while I can. Well, I look forward to your video log of that, so <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> um, do you, You're an optimist. I know that. So optimistically, are, is your operation going to learn from this experience? Might you operate differently in the future, and it might might not it allow you to um, deliver content in a different way? You know, it's, it's amazing. We're already learning by leaps and bounds. You know, any time, you know, life is always made up, I like to say, of challenges and opportunities, and one is very often disguised as the other. And, uh, and I, I really, I got a, I got a, a tip of the hat to our staff here at the museum. I mean, they have adapted. Um, you know, we have, we have made, you know, um, incredible changes in a very short period of time. And we're learning a lot, and I think there's going to be some new things and some good new things that really come out of this. Uh, Dan Lund, our curator of collections, uh, you know, who knew that, um, you know, this guy is, is uh, um, you know, he, he, he's got this incredible voice. He's been doing these narratives for these short documentaries um, and, you know, weaving in all of this historic imagery and music, and, you know, he's, he's included uh, uh, captioning for, for anybody's hearing impaired and just wants to watch it. And uh, I got to tell you, the content is really good. Um, I, I tell him he's our up-and-coming Ken Burns. You know, um, <laughs> he's doing a great job. And I think we've learned um, already that uh, you know we've got the skill sets here to do more of those. And I think that's something we'll want to phase in and regularly feature going forward. Uh, Dan Bartlett's Facebook Live tour of the exhibit. Uh, we clicked past 2,900 unique views in the first week after he did it. Um, that's something we're going to do, I think, with every exhibit here on out because it was a great way to engage an audience that some of whom may never physically come to the museum but still have an interest in Elmhurst history or just whatever topic we're covering. Um, I, that's something we've already learned about. Um, Jess's online lesson plans are already being added to our website, so it's something that in the future people can access. You know, anytime they're stuck at home on a snowy day and they're looking for something fun to do. Right. So yeah, I mean, I I think we we've we've learned that we're a much more resilient bunch than maybe any of us imagined. And I got to tell you what a creative team we've got here. Uh, you know, Jess has got a background in theater before she came into the museum world, and you know, her narration for the story time with the school marm is just fantastic. You know, she adds voices and all kinds of things. And you know what? We're going to be stronger as a result of this. Well, the uh, institution is the Elmhurst History Museum. The website is elmhursthistory.org. 
Executive Director Dave Olberg, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And now, it's time for another installment of One Ponce a Time with lowdown legend PK and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend, Elmhurst History Museum Director Dave Oberg. Hey, boys and girls. Did you know that four different railroads once connected Elmhurst to Chicago and all points beyond? Well, one ponce of time, in fact, Elmhurst was a railroad town almost from the beginning. When the first settlers began taking side and growing crops in the 1830s and 40s, the only way to reach Chicago was along dirt roads that took hours to traverse. When it rained, wagons and stagecoaches faced axle-deep mud. During dry spells, bone-jarring ruts and clouds of dust made the 16-mile stretch between Chicago and our tiny settlement, then known as Cottage Hill, almost unbearable. All of that changed in the late 1840s as the Galena and Chicago Union Railroad began laying track from Chicago west. By October of 1848, the first train west from the city chugged to the end of the line in Oak Park. The following year, on the 4th of July, the locomotive Pioneer reached our cottage hill. The sound of the train's whistle ushered in a new age and helped put our settlement on the map. <laughs> so let's dig a little deeper here. Um, it really is no exaggeration at all to say that the arrival of the uh, railroad really helped to make our town and really set the stage for growth. Uh, Jerry Bates, who operated the Hill Cottage Tavern, which catered to a lot of the stagecoach traffic in those years, uh, saw the potential of the railroad, and he actually donated the right-of-way to the Glean and Chicago Union um, in exchange for a rather lucrative uh, little swap, which is that he got a freight and passenger depot across from his store. Now, this would give him very easy access to ship and receive freight. And then, as an added bonus, when the Pioneer, uh, which you just described, came into town on July 4th of 1849, it brought with it a very elegant $2,000 passenger coach. And so residents were able to take the train into Chicago at the dizzying speed of 25 miles an hour, reaching the Windy City in less than an hour, instead of that agonizing trek you just described a little earlier. And by the 60s and 70s, we're already seeing a kind of a nascent commuter culture beginning to take root in the community. Uh, and this line is incredibly important. The Chicago and Northwestern uh, Railway is going to get a hold of this in 1865 and transform that into one of the busiest stretches of track you're going to find in the United States. Union Pacific gets a hold of it in uh, 1995, and these tracks, uh, which still divide North and South Elmhurst, are really some of the busiest train tracks you're going to find here in the United States. A lot of the container ships that unload on the East and West Coast are sending freight right along that line, and of course we use that uh, for Metro today, so we are still very much linked to the city. Now, a second train line, two of those four you were describing, is the Chicago Great Western Railway, which arrives in 1887 and gives us additional freight service and a very limited passenger service, again, from its depot uh, near South York Road. That uh, railway was also nicknamed the Corn Belt Route, and that saw service until about 1968. Uh, Park District gets a hold of it in 1971, and they renovate it for our bicentennial, and of course, it's still um, a really nice uh, Park District property today. And there's a 12-mile stretch of that right-of-way which still survives uh, linking uh, parts of Villa Park to West Chicago on the Great Western Trail. So we see bicycles and pedestrians where trains once were. 
Uh, now, the Illinois Central adds a return line through DuPage County in 1888, and so that return line cuts right through part of Elmhurst again, um, just south of Vallette. And Canadian National acquired that in 1998, and you'll still see trains going back and forth on that stretch as well. And then we get a fourth and I think really important uh, light rail line that comes uh, shortly after the turn of the century. And this is the Chicago, Aurora, and Elgin Railway, which is founded in 1902 and links Elmhurst and a lot of other suburban communities in the west uh, to the Chicago Loop and has a passenger and light freight uh, service as well with several depots, uh, including along Spring Road and uh, near York and Vallette. By the 20s, uh, this is becoming very lucrative and attractive, and developers are actually offering free rides on the CA&E, as we call it, to potential homeowners looking to build near the line. And the Spring Road and York and Vallette business districts and a lot of new neighborhoods grow up all around the Chicago Roar and Elgin stops. And as the highway construction picks up in the 50s, this is kind of the death knell of the CA&E. Uh, ridership drops off. They face a, lot of, uh, face a lot of steep competition from buses and automobiles. And train service abrupts very uh, ends very abruptly, July 3rd of 1957, stranding thousands of people. They actually pull the cars home at noon, rather an inconvenient time. Uh, and uh, uh, folks will still remember when they were uh, stranded downtown. But the Prairie Path follows that right-of-way today. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.